Welcome to Zero Trust 30. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and this is the show that helps you make the sense of the cybersecurity sensation that is Zero Trust. Today, I'm joined by Jawahar Sivasankaran, who is the President and Chief Operating Officer at AppGate. He uh, actually goes by Jawa and has more than 23 years of experience in the security space, uh, in sales consulting, business development and products. He did 15 years at Cisco and he recently joined AppGate from uh, Splunk last year. Our special guest today is Patrick Delaney. He's the SVP of Information Technology and Cybersecurity at Bang Energy, which is a performance beverages sports nutrition company. Uh, which many of you have likely seen out there before. Uh, Bang Energy is also a customer of AppGate, so we're very excited to have uh, Patrick on today. Patrick has a pretty extensive track record as a successful C-level strategist in startups, government, major corporations. Um, He worked at the Department of Defense and uh, the State Department, where he's actually been working with and enforcing zero trust principles before it was even called Zero Trust. So welcome both of you. Um, say hello so the audience knows that you're here and, and real. Hi there, this is Patrick Delaney. How are you? Glad to be here. Hey, it's Java. Patrick, it's a pleasure joining you. Thanks for your time. Awesome. Well, before we kind of get into the meat of this today, where we're going to be talking about Industry 4.0 and the role of Zero Trust, um, we do like to play just a little fun little game. It's called What's Bugging You? Where we're basically just going to ask you a very straightforward question, which is, what is bugging you? So Patrick is our special guest. If you wouldn't mind kicking us off, what's bugging you today? What's bugging me in, in our industry, as you probably know, the nine to five was really kind of the birthplace within the manufacturing line, right? So, so you punch in and punch out. So the, the idea of remote work um, and the, the shadow operational technology, shadow OT, um, that's actually uh, bugging me as we're making that transition and growing into that space. The amount of technology that we're having to support as a result of this and others within supply chain, manufacturing, and even the office environment, that's probably what's bugging me. <laughs> I've actually never heard the term shadow OT. Obviously, I've heard shadow IT at nauseum, but that's, that's new to me. Thanks for sharing that. Jawa, how about you, sir? What's bugging you? Yeah, I, I would say definitely what's happening with the pandemic, right? You know, that's that's yeah. top of mind for all of us. And we all thought that the end was near after we got the first round of vaccines and everything. But now we're talking about, you know, got third booster, fourth, people are talking about fourth. So it's like, that's definitely top of mind. Uh, but specific to the industry, uh, I would say you know, given the topic we're talking is uh, 4.0 and, um, you know, what we're talking about, industrial cybersecurity, uh, things that we should do right as an industry uh, as it relates to critical infrastructure protection. Um, Because so far, uh, you know, thank God, the impact that we've seen is mostly economic and financial impact uh, due to cyber attacks. Uh, But as critical infrastructure systems are connected, uh, the concern, you know, from an industry point of view that I have is we as an industry, we got to rally together to make sure, you know, our hospitals, our, our yep. you know, power plants, uh, railroad systems that have been connected, uh, especially if you look at emerging countries, right, developing countries that may have connected those, uh, but without the right cybersecurity controls in place. But that's, you know, if, if you ask me what would what's, what's top of mind, I know that I would say that. 
And, and I don't think you're alone there. So let's uh, let's get into the meat of this. We're here to talk about Industry 4, 4.0, digital transformation, the fourth industrial revolution, data is the new, new oil, whatever you want to call it, right? Or however, or however you want to explain it, there have been fundamental changes in how businesses leverages, leverage technology and with it some serious implications for how to secure these businesses and those new technology deployments. So first what we're going to do is we're going to discuss those security implications um, through the lens. I think specifically, you know, Patrick, you're firsthand dealing with uh, a lot of transformation issues and obviously overseeing the security aspect of that. Then what we'll do is we'll kind of go in and explore the rise of zero trust as a way to help secure these new systems. Um, and then finally, you know, we'd love to end with just offering up some general advice for, for people uh, who are maybe starting to embark on zero trust and think about zero trust, um, you know, in the manufacturing consumer services space, or even just broadly and kind of what advice both of you would be able to give to them. So let's dive right into this, Patrick, I'm going to kick this off with you. You know, as an early adopter of Zero Trust, tell us the reason behind that particular journey, what it's meant for Bang Energy, and some of the security and the operational challenges that you've been looking to kind of solve for. If we could just kind of level set on what that landscape has looked like for you. Absolutely. Um, it's been a real pleasure to just kind of see the evolution of it all, um, you know, from, from a risk management perspective. Uh, Bang Energy has done an amazing job in, in brand recognition, um, and, and we kind of sit in, in the uh, top three uh, in that space of the energy drink, right? Um, and with that comes a, a number of, you know, points that people are looking to, to us as the leader in that space. Um, the, the president, CEO, and chief science officer of the organization has been in this industry for sport nutrition and quite a bit uh, for almost 30 years. Um, he talks uh, quite a bit about, um, you know, from the classroom to the boardroom. Um, he was a science teacher and, and, and really had uh, a personal story and a personal take on, on making sure that, you know, vitamins and vitamin supplements and other nutritional values were at the forefront. And so um, when he brought me on board, um, the idea was let's take a let's protect the brand. Uh, let's not only protect the uh, our, our, what we've done over the last thirty years, and what particularly uh, Bang Energy, the energy drink that has revolutionized the, the market space. Um, we we were so agile that we had to do a lot of catching up, um, and the the approach that we took from that was really for, as the as the heart of our use case scenario, which is how do we protect our IPs? How do we ensure that the technology and the investment that we're putting into the organization uh, is in fact you know scalable, but First and foremost, you know, how can we protect it? And of course, you know, in the height of probably some of our early and most amazing years, the pandemic hit, right? Um, remote workers uh, came in and as an opportunity for us to think, take a look at, well, what does that mean for manufacturing? Um, yeah. You know, and, and I have some personal stories about how the military uh, dealt with that some years ago. But 
overall, that became the biggest challenge. Um, how do we take operational technology, not just information technology, but how do we take those pieces that you know everyone's talking about, you know, the ability to put some assembly line at our distribution centers or, you know, uh, diversify our, our portfolio in terms of, you know, how we get, go to market. And that became the, the biggest challenge. What we did with Zero Trust was, uh, I love the concept specifically around, you know, how do you... Uh, how do you let people in, um, you know, and, and so making sure that, you know, we, we trust first. Um, it used to be trust and verify. Um, and I wanted to make that migration from, you know, yeah, we, we're going to we're not going to trust and verify. We're going to verify and then trust. Um, and that's really what zero trust meant to us in, in terms of a concept. And then we started looking at ways of implementing that not only from a just pure information technology, but going into operational technology. Yeah, I would love to understand exactly what that looks like, though, in terms of the OT side. You know, how, how do you how do you have a remote workforce that works with operational technologies in order to manufacture products? Like what what is what were those dynamics? If you could maybe touch on those a little bit deeper, I'd be interested to hear that. Absolutely. So um, probably the most uh, I guess the lowest hanging uh, conversation around operational technology, you probably are familiar with the term co-packers, right? Um, and, and when I say operational technology, it's not just the employees, right? It's really our partners. So a co-packer is a, is a vendor product uh, partner that produces, you know, our our brand, our, 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 and, and they do that for multiple products. They have these massive uh, uh, warehouses, manufacturing plants, um, and and we become another partner where they can actually produce not only the formula that we have, which is our secret sauce, um, but but how do we you know ensure that they are doing what they're supposed to be doing? So co-packers became our first you know, defense um, in terms of operational technology. And and we use this uh, sort of co-packer um, method, not only here in the U.S., um, that manufactured quite a bit, but also overseas. Um, we have co-packers in multiple countries um, that are actually producing an amazing amount of the bang energy product that you see that that's in the uh, consumer's hands in, in, in these convenience stores and supply uh, grocery stores and so on. So the way that we wanted to, to do that, um, we took kind of a top-down approach. We wanted to first understand the vendor's infrastructure um, yeah. and, and put some methods in place uh, that we can monitor. We, we went to uh, these, these vendors and we looked at many of them are, are, are not, you know, publicly traded organizations. So how do we ensure that, you know, governance are in place? So these audits um, in terms of, you know, data protection became our sort of marching orders. Um, and then creating kind of this, you know, not so much software-defined uh, perimeters, but really perimeters at their end that they can demonstrate to us that when we give them the formula, when we give them the the, the, the work order for, you know, two billion uh, uh, can lines, um, how will they ensure that operational excellence is in, is in place? Um, that became a, an important part of us uh, in our strategy. No, that's that that's that's really interesting. And I know Jawa, from your perspective, right? Um, you're actually 
you know, you got Patrick on one side of the equation who's been looking at zero trust uh, from from the days of inception, and I think you're you're self-proclaimed zero trust late adopter. And I'd love to kind of unpack that a little bit. What what is your perspective of zero trust been, and and how has it changed over the years? Yeah, that's right. You know, I would I would say I was a slow starter uh, in in terms of you know believers out there with zero trust. Uh, it, part of it is uh, having spent so much time in the security industry, both on the practitioner engineering technology product side, but also on the go to market side, uh, the last decade plus, there have been fads that have come and gone, right, in, in, the, in the security market. Uh, and if you look through that, uh, 2010, when the term zero trust came uh, out into the industry, and give it a couple more years when it was a little more pervasive, right, 2011, 2012. Uh, but during the first half of that decade, I would say uh, I, I was slow, uh, just in terms of, hey, this is one of those things that is going to come and go in the industry. Um, and uh, didn't we always have a concept of zero trust? I mean, our firewalls that we've had, stateful firewalls that we've had for the last 30 plus years, always a default did not. Is that not a zero trust if you just flip the coin and think about it? Um, first generation network admission control, for example. Hey, we did some posture management. We were able to enforce policies. Uh, and if you look at defense in depth, um, some of those things that, that have come around, how does zero trust differ from those things that we had? And, and, and then the question, especially, you know, from the vendor side, you know, where I was on the go-to-market side, which is, is, is this something real that customers are going to see real value? Uh, so I would say the first two, three, four years, that's kind of what it is. Wait and see, you know, how things take off. Uh, but I can tell you the last uh, five plus years, right, you know, let's say towards the end of the last decade, you know, 2017, 2018, this thing, uh, as, as we've all seen in the marketplace, this is the right way to approach security. If uh, we as practitioners in the industry, we got to look to modernize security. Uh, and if you look at it, uh, some of these technologies have been around for too, far too long. I mean, I talked about network emission control, but even if you look at VPNs, for example, VPNs have been around for a good part of 30, 35 years, and not a lot of innovation uh, has come into the VPN remote access technology. I mean, if you go back to early 2000s, we went from IPsec-based VPNs to SSL VPNs. I mean, that was a significant shift. Then we had some hardware-based encryption that came around. But beyond that, if you look at the last 30 years, ah, not much has changed, right? So uh, we, we are at a point where the, the uh, impact of zero trust is real. Uh, customers embracing adopting zero trust frameworks are doing it for the right reasons uh, and it's not just solving technology problems but solving real business problems uh, and things that Patrick was walking through right the supply chain the global nature of the supply chain that he's managing on on a day-to-day -day basis and I just cannot see how some of the legacy technologies can scale that for today and definitely not for the future yeah yeah, and there was there was an interesting report that came out from uh, from both IBM and, and and the Ponymon Institute, the 2021 cost of a data breach, and one of the most interesting little nuggets that came out of that was that industries they claimed industries with a with a mature zero trust approach um, was they had 1.76 million dollars less 
in terms of the cost of a data breach than those without zero trust. And I would love to kind of hear, Patrick, from you in terms of the benefits of ZT. You know, obviously there's the security and the risk mitigation sides of the equations, but what other zero, what other benefits have you uh, found by utilizing zero trust technologies within your organization? So, you know, we start off um, with some of our co-packers. We are, have the distribution centers. And then we also have, which is not necessarily part, uh, unique to manufacturing, but we also have uh, sort of a distributed, um, you know, sales force, right, yeah. that are uh, working with, you know, the likes of uh, Amazon and, and, and Kroger and uh, other huge uh, chains, right? And, and the idea then is to, to make sure that, you know, we protect our infrastructure. So creating um, the, the probably the most obvious use case was um, making sure that we have software-defined perimeters where we actually were addressing some of the VPN-type connectivities. Um, but while that became, you know, kind of an easy win for us because um, of the growth that we experienced in a short period of time, um, we were very agile in, in the ability to adapt to at least uh, the, the software-defined VPN um, in, in enabling our sales force to go out and, and connect. The challenges that we ran into and in, in why we ended up uh, taking advantage of some of the other technologies around zero trust is really to, to, to take a look at the governance around how we interact with others. Um, and so uh, particularly this huge, uh, massive uh, uh, adoption of SaaS, right? software as a service, um, you know, these cloud-based solutions became, you know, a little bit of a nightmare to manage and, and make sure that we're able to, to uh, have policies in, in place that, you know, either prevent and or uh, enable the appropriate access. And then there was the, 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 the constant churn of, of individuals, you know, the onboarding and offboarding individuals. Um, how did we ensure, uh, you know, we can create multiple connections between their uh, cell phones and their tablets and their iPads and their, you know, um, at the time that they're offboarded, you know, what do we do? How do we protect? How, how do we ensure that, you know, these data leakage, um, that's at the very sort of easy win for us, right, to be able to see where some of the zero trust uh, infrastructure would make sense. What became a little bit more challenging um, is on the manufacturing floor itself, right? Um, and these are part of uh, the innovation in, in um, whether it's machine learning or robotics that we're putting in place, how do we ensure? And we have to give our vendor from a support perspective, which is probably not unique to manufacturing, but how do we make sure that where we outsourcing the support that they're actually coming into our network infrastructure in a very secure fashion and we're able to monitor and audit their usage of that. So those are some of the things that uh, became you know, part of our strategic pillars that in, in applying zero trust became more than just you know, a vision. It became kind of, you know, these are the risk posture that we need to ensure in order to meet all of these different pillars. And, and there's different personas, right? I just touched on just a few of them just to kind of give you an idea. But yeah, uh, those were some of the things that, that we were able to utilize in terms of zero trust as a concept, but more zero trust as part of our policy dr driver. 
No, that's really interesting. I think, you know, you said something in there as well that kind of piqued my interest and I want to pose this over to you, Jawa, but like, you know, the increased utilization of, of, of SaaS and software as a service and you think about digital transformation over time, but you are, and I don't know, Patrick, you know, even just to, in terms of just, you know, broad-based cloud adoption, um, this new introduction of containers and microservices and, and what have you, is it like zero trust as that policy engine cannot only be put into a box around one type of user set or one type of workload type. It has to be uniform across the entire IT landscape. And so, Joe, I would love to hear from you, you know, as we start looking at organizations that are leaning deeper and deeper into the cloud, using more cloud native type technologies, what does Zero Trust look like there? And how is it different to the more traditional type workload? Um, yeah. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, uh, and Patrick touched on this. Right? The the adoption of cloud is, has been bringing in lots of security challenges. But you, if you look at how the industry is tackling this, honestly, today, uh, it's a it's a very uh, disparate piecemeal approach, if you will. And we've got uh, different things happening in the cloud. If you look at just securing cloud assets, right? Cloud assets, containers, workloads, uh, APIs. Uh, microservices, uh, and you, you've got, there are some really good companies that are out there, big and small, that are solving that, those problems, but they're all coming from slightly very different angles. And in some, in very, in some cases, it's very different, right? Uh, and the way I see this evolving, and this is where AppGate is going in terms of our, our investment, um, obviously a lot of focus that the industry has had so far with zero trust is around zero trust network access right ztna which is very common that we hear where it tends to solve traditional remote access challenges third-party access challenges if you will um, but where we are heading is a clearly applying the zero trust framework to solve many of these cloud security challenges and here uh, in majority of the cases, you don't have a user uh, that's that's there in the path. It's asset to asset. It's workload to workload. It's API to API. Uh, and how do we take uh, software-defined perimeter, the concept of software-defined perimeter, uh, and apply that to uh, solve some of these problems and solve them in a very seamless and ubiquitous way? Uh, that that's clearly something that we as 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 a security industry should be going towards. Uh, think think containers, for example. Uh, there's, you know, you got you got containers that you got to secure at Kubernetes containers at the at the pod level, at the cluster level. Uh, then, of course, you're talking about inner cloud. If you are moving containers from one cloud service provider to another, uh, can you have a seamless policy enforcement view that's applied across all of these? Uh, and again, have that uh, in a, in a way where uh, it, our customers can. Uh, move those policies around relatively quickly if they're moving from one cloud provider to another cloud provider. Uh, so those are the things I see the the um, uh, application of zero trust is going to evolve and get deeper and deeper as we go into the next couple of years. Of course, ZTNA is always going to be there. There's always going to be the application of zero trust in the traditional network access. But where I see uh, an, an equally important or even even more important application of zero trust and software-defined perimeter is when you look at cloud assets, uh, workload to workload, API, microservices, some of those things, and, and you take the strengths with zero trust and apply them and extend them. So really you got a, uh, a, a strategy that covers remote access, 
enterprise access, which includes uh, ITOT, uh, and then also cloud access. So let's go on then to this, this final section here in terms of giving up some advice for individuals who are maybe starting their journey. Um, and I think even just looking at, you know, some of the, the cloud stuff there as well is in terms of a maturity curve, you know, a lot of it is around where do you start, but also thinking forward to the future and not just, you know, saying, oh, I just need to solve this remote access challenge. Where are you going to be five years from now? And how does your strategy and your, your, your technology investments scale with you over time? So, um, Patrick, let's let's start with you. You know, what advice would you give to a CISO, a like-minded security individual in your space that is starting to navigate zero trust? Absolutely. Um, probably the same advice that I was given <laughs> um, so many years ago. Um, and, and fortunately, it came at a point where um, the predecessor to AppGate, AppGate the product, AppGate or the, the, the company um, prior to it becoming AppGate. Um, we did a pilot program um, in the UAE. Uh, it was just a, a POC, but we were able to implement that. And one of the advices that I was given um, at that time was you have to be intentional about your approach to ZTNA. Um, while that was very specific and somewhat myopic to the architecture as a whole, what I've done is I've taken that same approach and made ZT a policy driver, right? And so um, it's, it, it almost became um, a part of my adoption here at, at Bang or Vital Pharmaceutical Bang Energy is to drive policies around that. Fortunately, we were, in, in, you know, thanks to COVID, we were able to identify some use cases that we needed to address almost immediately. But I didn't want to be too myopic about that particular use case or that persona. Um, so I took a step back and adopted what was told to me some years back about making sure that we're intentional about that. So I got with some of the policy other department heads, particularly around manufacturing supply chain, and started to understand where all the potential big data reside outside of your traditional IT. <laughs> um, and I say this kind of, you know, tongue in cheek because um, it, while my background has been, you know, in that space, manufacturing and supply chain was very fairly new to me. I knew logistics um, from having been in the military, and I knew some of the others, but um, I had to understand where their pain points were. And because we took sort of that risk approach, um, my advice would be do your risk analysis, work with your risk managers and your risk uh, officers to understand where all those pieces are and be intentional about your ZT approach as a policy driver, as well as the architecture for your well, growth, right? But uh, that would be my advice. Uh, I know it's a little bit lengthy in my explanation, but really, you know, this is coming from experience. We, we didn't hit it right at the very beginning we had to go back to the drawing board um you know partnering with folks like you guys and at uh, abgate gave me the opportunity to really kind of you know go back to the basics i think that's really really smart uh, we hear it a lot as well and one of the things that stuck out to me is you actually took the time to go out and meet with some of your other department heads and that just kind of harkens back to this idea that zero trust is a mindset it's not a, it's not a technology that you're going to buy it's something that you have to instill across the entire organization as you are defining what that policy strategy is going to look like. Thank you for that. Joe, how about you? Yeah, I, I would say, and Patrick had some really good points there, right? I, along those lines, I would say, 
there are going to be some easy wins in terms of moving to zero trust as an architecture on the technology side, which I think we all have to embrace fast. You know, hey, if, if, if you still got those legacy VPNs, it's about time, right? Uh, literally every month we see a, a, a large VPN vulnerability that's popping up. Um, uh, so it's about time. Uh, and, and even some of those other legacy technologies that uh, clearly an opportunity for us to move to something uh, that can take us into the future. Uh, but in addition to those easy wins, I would say uh, this is a great opportunity to look at your business processes. Um, and as Patrick said, to work with your risk managers, to work with your CFO, uh, to work with your BU leaders, uh, business unit leaders, to understand the business challenges that they're trying to solve. Uh, and as we've seen time and again with customers that we work with, many times, yeah, these are simple technology problems that they're going after, like VPN replacement is a classic example, or revamping their first generation or second generation network admission control to uh, something that's more identity driven. But beyond that, use cases like supply chain security, uh, third-party access, uh, we're, we're clearly seeing M&A, uh, mergers, acquisitions, and we've seen companies coming out and saying, I've got underlying technical problems or challenges that do not allow me to do M&As the right way. Or for that matter, we've made some acquisitions in the past and we have not integrated them, the business processes the right way because of some of the technology limitations that we have, right? So I would say in addition to the quick wins on the technology side, which kind of seems like no-brainers at this point in 2022, uh, there are also going to be areas that you should be looking at that aligns your trust with your business processes and business maturity in some of these areas like third-party access, supply chain, um, and, and of course, you know, manufacturing that, uh, that uh, we've been talking, but, but even scaling that beyond um, you know, some of those uh, basic business operations. You know, before we wrap up, you know, Patrick, being our special guest, having so much incumbent knowledge on an industry 4.0 and zero trust, I'd love to just give you the floor here and, and, and tell us, are there any, you know, final thoughts that you would love for the audience to take away? Yeah. So if you're looking at um, data optimization across the value chain, right, um, and, and, and the reason why that is an important aspect of it, we... It's, it's at the top of mind because Amazon has done such an amazing uh, job around supply chain and bond distribution, and, and, and everyone knows that, that scenario. Um, what we don't often talk about is the logistics that happens behind the scenes to get these things in, whether it's transportation management that has a whole bunch of IOTs, right, that we need to make sure that we are securing their infrastructure. Um, we've had some of these experiences as, as part of uh, AppGate uh, deployment, and we started looking at, you know, and we had to pick the persona. We had to pick the use case because if not, we would have been all over the place because there are so many different things that we need to, to be mindful of. So our approach to ZT has been really on a policy perspective um, because we're cataloging all of those use cases. The next strategy or the next uh, goal for us from a ZTNA for manufacturing um, is really around the supply chain, the value chain, around transportation management systems. Um, we have just a host of par uh, partners that are wanting to connect 
you know, data sharing, EDI, all of those pieces. Now, how do where do we put those appliances, right? Where do we put the, the connections where we can actually ensure that data is being transmitted between um, vendors and ourselves in a very secure fashion? If you look at some of the uh, cases that we've had in recent Last year in 2020, 2021 and 2020, you know, no one got in, you know, via the emails, right? That's that's kind of like a if, – if people are still fashioning, uh, whether it's email phishing and things like that, and they think that's cybersecurity – uh, we got a we got a lot more to do in terms of you know educating our our consumers our users because the the reality is IoT still poses an incredible amount of risk um, and because of that that's where I'm looking at you know what's the best way to to secure that and ZT from from a policy perspective are going through that checklist you know and I want to make sure that when we talk about innovation and transformation. Um, you know, how do I ensure from, from physical security? I'm, I'm actually in a really neat position with the organization because physical security actually falls under my category as well. So in oh, wow. my portfolio of services, I actually have IOTs and physical security. So I work with and negotiate contracts with everything from, from a security company to a, 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 an outsourced police force, right? Um, and so uh, having had an opportunity to sit in the belly of the beast where I was with the CIO, I was the CIO for the Broward County Sheriff's Office for many years. I kind of know a little bit about some of the rhythm that they have and, and what they're struggling with. So I was able to, to, to talk through some of that, whether it's a door access or a camera, all of those pieces still plays an important role as the overall enterprise, right? Not just manufacturing, but the next piece for us in terms of ZT uh, strategy is to really talk about the, the supply chain. I mean, I think that's that's really sound advice. We're not going to be getting any less data and we're not going to be getting any less connected devices. It's only going to continue to proliferate, right? Yes. And uh, you've got to kind of broaden your perspective in terms of what's connecting to what and how is it a jumping off point into more sensitive information within your organization and how do you stop a lot of that lateral movement um, and monitor it, right? And get visibility so that you can identify and remediate it fast. So that's awesome. Some really, really sage advice from both of you. Thank you so very much. So we're, uh, we're getting close to wrapping up here and we typically like to end on a, a bit of a fun note. And so we, we, we play this, this game here called this, the, this called the rapid fire question game. And so basically it's really straightforward. We're going to ask three questions and you guys have to just Answer them as fast as you possibly can. They are not technology related, nothing to do with cyber. The whole idea is to kind of get a sense for the human being that is Patrick and, uh, and Jawa, right? So let's start. Patrick, we'll, uh, well, actually what we'll do is we'll ask one question, you can both answer it. Patrick, you can go first and then, then Jawa next. Are you guys early birds or night owls? Early bird. That's the military background. Used to be a night owl, early bird these days, uh, as I'm with more global teams, and especially here, uh, I'm the only one in the West Coast from the leadership team, so definitely early bird. Oh, man. Well, now I know when to send you emails if I need a response quickly. Uh, if you could win an Olympic medal for any sport, real or fake, what would it be? <laughs> uh, motorcycle, cross country. <laughs> okay, that's fun. Are you, are you a motorcyclist? I am. I have two beautiful bikes. That's awesome. That's awesome. How about you, Jaw? 
I don't know, a fake. You said fake as well, or as, aspirational. Bend. Yeah, or aspirational. So I would say 200 Anything. meters. Anything. Right? 200 meters. Always the bend is very exciting to see in, in a 200 yeah. meter uh, race, you know, more than 100 meters. So I would say 200 meters. Good. And don't worry, I'm not going to hold you guys accountable I'll, to the I'll, end. I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep dreaming about it. I'll keep dreaming about I, it. I, it's still <laughs> on my bucket list to do the uh, Paris or Dakar, even though we haven't done that anymore. But I'd love to be able to do that. That's on my bucket list. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> All right. Final question here. And I think, Patrick, you, you already might have answered this. Uh, maybe there's another one out there because we were talking ZT related. What's the best lesson you ever learned from a boss or mentor for that matter? Uh, communication is only a byproduct of empathy, ah. um, and and that's that. I, I held on to that, and I still preach that to this day. I consider myself an empathetic leader, um, both in and off the military and in theater. Um, so yeah, that's. I that actually came from my commanding officer back in the early 1990s. <laughs> that's a great one. Java, can you top it? Yeah, I can't top it. I would, you know, that that was awesome, right? So I've, I've uh, as a leader, I've matured over the years to to uh, go along, you know, some of the paths that, that Patrick just walked through. But I would say, uh, take risks uh, more often, fail fast. Uh, I, I I did learn that, and I I did pivot myself a little bit closer to that. Well, I would say probably. Uh, during the initial stages of my career, I was uh, trying to get closer to perfection and uh, uh, take risks more often. It's okay, fail faster. I, I think I think it's a good one. No, I agree. Well, hey, listen, thank you both. And for the audience, thanks for listening to today's episode. You can find show notes and other episodes at appgate.com forward slash podcast. And if you're not yet, uh, not yet a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is a production of AppGate. The opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests and may not represent the views of their organizations. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and you've been listening to Zero Trust 30. There's a wrap, guys. Thank you so much. Outstanding. <laughs>